It's a well of pure water when I'm thirsty and dry. Bread when I'm hungry and worn. When the battle is raging, it's my faithful sword. A shelter from life's troubled storm. It's a light to my pathway and a lamp to my feet. When the world gets so dark, you can see. And I've not made a change in one word that it says, but it sure made a change in me. This blessed old book that I hold in my hand, it's true from beginning to end. It's a solid foundation where I firmly stand. Sin kept me from it, now it keeps me from sin. When I think what it costs just to hold in my hand, it reminds me that I owe a great debt to all of the martyrs who go to the stake and quote it with their dying breath. Now its critics are many and believers are few, but one thing I found to be true. If you find when you read it that there's something wrong, there's something wrong with you. This blessed old book that I hold in my hand, it's true from beginning to end. It's a solid foundation where I firmly stand. Sin kept me from it, now it keeps me from sin. This blessed old book that I hold in my hand is true from beginning to end. It's a solid foundation where I firmly stand. Sin kept me from it, now it keeps me from sin. This blessed old book that I hold in my hand. All right. My name really is John Jones. You can check my driver's license to prove that, and you don't know the half of it. My wife is from Cleveland Baptist Church. Her name was Judy Jones before I ever met her. She has a grandfather named John Jones and a brother named John Jones who married Janet, who had a son named John Jones. My married Judy Jones. We have a son named John, too. So we're just getting started. So, uh, go to the library, and they want to check out a book, and they say, what's your name? You go, oh, John Jones. Which one? So it just... But it's a, it's a pleasure for me to be here. It really is a joy. I count it an honor. And I will say this to you. You have a treasure in your pastor here. And uh, do not take him or his wife for granted. And uh, one of these days, God may put you somewhere else, and you're going to go, oh, my goodness, not understanding what you have. Um, so I want to say thank you to Pastor O'Donnell Pastor Huth, uh, both for allowing me to come and uh, have a small part uh, in this meeting. I always enjoy it. My wife gets to come. I'm glad that, that we never speak together, and she's way better of a speaker than I am. And, uh, you know, just uh, some of you know her, but I, I say everywhere she is not my better half. She's at least my better two-thirds, probably my better three-fourths. But she regrets she can't be here, and I wanted to, to pass that along, and she had some obligations. She just couldn't get turned around and... And uh, so I, I, I feel 
you know, sorry about that. I always enjoy it when we get to travel together. I love the focus of what you've been given these last two days. I love that. It, it just, it fires me up. It gets me excited. And I've been on Brother Musselman's radio program. I, every two or three years, starting in about six weeks again, we have a 13-week course on the King James. I don't holler and rant and spit and stomp and snort too much about those things and, and try not to make it a hobby horse, but it is so valuable. It is so important that I want the people of our church to know what's at stake there um, it's critical information that you've been given. I hope that you wrote it down. I, you've written it down. I hope that you get it if it's on uh, CDs or DVDs or whatever. I hope that you review it regularly. It is, it is critical to what we're doing. And I say that to say this. So many pastors of our day don't care themselves about this issue. Much less care enough to tell their church about this issue, much less to have a conference so that you could understand the issue. So it's, it's neat and it's a privilege and they just want me to, I just want, it makes me want to talk about everything. I want to talk about the manuscripts, I want to talk about Irenaeus, I want to talk about the preface to the New American Standard and the Nestle's 23rd edition. I want to talk about, you know, cur- you know, Passages like Colossians 1.14 says, In whom we have redemption through his blood. It's gone in a lot of versions. And just, I just want to, it just fires me up. Thank you for letting me be a part of your meeting. And uh, I don't take it for granted. But I also understand my position tonight. Uh, I'm the last speaker on the last night after you've already been given so much. You know, I had the privilege of speaking out at a Bible college one time, and it was an honor, and it was before their Thanksgiving break. And uh, I was told before I went out there, I was speaking on Tuesday, then they're going to have classes the rest of Tuesday, classes the rest of Wednesday, and they're going to get out Wednesday afternoon. But when I got there, they said, well, they changed. Now they're, they're not, they were not having classes at all on Wednesday, so you're going to speak in chapel on Tuesday, they're going to finish their classes, then they're going to go for a Thanksgiving break. And right before chapel, I'm in there with all the big guys in a little room, and we're getting ready to go. And, and they said, oh, we changed things again, Pastor Jones. Just want you to know. The student body knows whenever you're done, they're dismissed. I said, I can't believe you guys did that to me. And I sat there and I said, you know, if I walk up and just tell them my name, speak for five minutes and say I'm done, they will love me forever. I'm telling you, the vice president took his glasses and went like this. The staff and faculty will love you forever, too. (laughs) So I understand the position I'm in. And I'm going to be brief. I will tell you that. Uh, I'm going to be brief. I hope that you'll listen uh, fast because I'm going to talk fast. And if I keep putting my glasses on and off, you'll have to forgive me. And uh, I have... That little kid that was three years old that has the really thick glasses, and you you go, oh, poor little boy. That was me. All my life, I've had glasses and and surgeries, and then I had cataracts, and I had implants, and laser treatments. And and a few months ago, I was playing basketball and and something else, and uh, one of my implants got knocked out of place. So it's floating around in my eye. I'm not winking at anybody tonight. I'm just... (laughs) 
but I, I can't see. If I want to see you, I have to put these on. If I want to read, I have to take them off. So I apologize for that. But I'm supposed to go to the doctor soon and have that fixed. But I just thought I should explain. Um, all right. If you would, let's pray together. And then I want you to turn to two passages of Scripture and see what we can do. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for these two churches and others that are here from other churches I know. And thank you for the focus that they've had on your word. We live in such a day of deception, such a day of compromise, such a day of watering everything down and pretending things really don't matter anymore and that do matter a lot. Pray that you'd not let the enemy snatch away what they've heard last night, tonight. Pray that you'd give me your strength. I pray you'd give me your power to add something that would be helpful to what's already been said. Meet the needs in this room tonight. We'd ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Take your Bible, if you would, first of all, and turn to 2 Samuel chapter 6. 2 Samuel chapter 6. I love the building. First time I've been able to be in here uh, since all of the remodeling. God's been good to you. To who much is given, much is required. I'm going to call this text the Ark 1.0. All right? The Ark 1.0. 2 Samuel chapter 6, I'm going to read quickly verse 1. And again, David gathered together all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people that were with him from Baal of Judah to bring up thence the ark of God, whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts that dwelleth between the cherubims. And they set the ark of God upon a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab uh, that was in Gibeah. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drave the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was at Gibeah, accompanying the ark of God. And Ahio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel played before the Lord on all manner of instruments made of fir wood, even on harps, on soldieries, on timbrels, on cornets, on cymbals. And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put forth his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. The anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God smote him there for his error. And there he died by the ark of God. And David was displeased because of the Lord that made a breach upon Uzzah. And he called the name of the place Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and said, how shall the ark of the Lord come to me? So David would not remove the ark of the Lord unto him, unto the city of David. But David carried it aside unto the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, and the ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. I bet he didn't touch it, brother. <laughs> yeah, you can put it in my house, but I'm not touching it. Lord, no. Take your Bible, if you would. Turn to my, my only other real text for this evening. It's 1 Chronicles chapter 15. 1 Chronicles chapter 15. This is the Ark 2.0. First Chronicles chapter 15. 
A lot of good preaching out of that first text. We don't hear much about this second text. At some point, somebody says to David, Hey, King, God's blessing the house of Obed-Edom with the ark down there. You know, it's, we, let's try this again. Let's go. I, I don't know how it all transpired. But this is a second attempt. Notice if you would, I'll read quickly again, beginning in verse 1. And David made him houses in the city of David and prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched for it a tent. And David said, none ought to carry the ark of God but the Levites. Well, that's different. Uh, None ought to carry the ark of God but the Levites. For them hath the Lord chosen to carry the ark of God and minister unto him forever. And David gathered all Israel together to Jerusalem to bring up the ark of the Lord unto his place which he had prepared for it. And David assembled the children of Aaron and the Levites and of the sons of Kohath, Uriel the chief and his brethren, 120 of the sons of Merari. And he goes through the whole names of all those people. And I won't take the time to do that. And it says in verse 11, And David called for Zadok and Abiathar the priests and for the Levites and for Uriel and Isaiah and Joel and Shemaiah and Eliel and Abinadab and said unto them, you, the chief of the fathers of the Levites, sanctify yourselves, both you and your brethren, that ye may bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel unto the place that I have prepared for it. For And watch this carefully. For because you did it not at the first, the Lord our God made a breach upon us, for that we sought him not after the due order. So the priests and Levites sanctified themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel. And the children of the Levites bear the ark of God upon their shoulders with the staves thereon, as Moses commanded, according to the word of the Lord. And you know, it went very well. I want you to think about some things with me tonight. All of these stories are fictional. If they bear any truth resemblance, it's by sheer coincidence. I say that right up front. But after the meeting is over tonight, Pastor Hughes says to Pastor O'Donnell, look, something's wrong with my car. Can you take me home? And Pastor O'Donnell's kind of upset. Are you kidding me? After two days and all these people from your church, and you want me to take you all the way back home? Are you kidding me? And Pastor Hughes says something like, look, if you take me home, I'll take you to Dairy Queen. Amen. Well, and all, and all of a sudden, there's this glaze that comes over Pastor O'Donnell's eyes. He says, get in the car. And they can't get out of the car, so he he's puts a tap in you, you know, and, and, and cars are going by, and there's not a break in traffic, so Pastor O'Donnell can't take it anymore, so he takes off down the sidewalk. And he goes about three blocks down the sidewalk, and there's some people playing on the sidewalk. So he decides to go through the yard, because it's a corner lot, comes out around the corner, all going the wrong way on a one-way street, zigzags through a bunch of people, all the way out of town, gets out of town, pulls the emergency brake, does a little drift in there, puts it down. Next thing, Pastor, he knows he's going through a cornfield. But halfway through the cornfield, a, a railroad track comes up. They're not going over the railroad track. Again, the e-brake comes out, goes down. He goes right down the side of that railroad track till he comes to a crossing, back up on the road, over the crossing. And there's coming to a stop sign, but he sees the Dairy Queen, closes his eyes, goes right through the stop sign. As he comes towards the Dairy Queen, there's a line going in. He says, forget this, goes in the exit. 
double parks, sort of in the fire lane, throws the door open, leaves it running. Gets out and cuts in front of other four people and says, come on, Pastor Pooh. About the time <laughs> they're standing there. See, if I had my eyesight, I'd be all over the place doing that. But anyway, <laughs> illustrating that story. But a police officer walks up behind him. And he says, is that your car? He thought about saying it was Pastor Huth's car, but being the man of God he was. <laughs> he says, yes, sir. And he starts writing out this long list of tickets. If Pastor O'Donnell did something like that, it would be incredibly dangerous. You know why? Because he's breaking a whole lot of rules. It would be incredibly dangerous because he's breaking a whole lot of rules. Rules matter. Chapter 2. Pastor Huth, Pastor O'Donnell said, well, after all this conference, we need to take a break. Let's go get some relaxation. Being a sports guy, Pastor O'Donnell is, he said, let's play some football. So they get the guys of their churches together, and it's the Huthites against the, the, the O'Donnellites. I was trying to think of some good names for their teams on the way down here, and I was just distracting myself from what I was going to say. So you'll forgive me for that. But you know what? Pastor O'Donnell's team is crushing Pastor Huth. Amen. Just crushing him. <laughs> I mean, it's third quarter now, and it's 57 to 0. <laughs> Pastor Huth's team has the ball. It's third and nine. They're in the huddle, and he says, fellas. We haven't had a first down the whole game. I just want to get a first down. So uh, let's try to call it the, 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 to get them off sides, get that a little closer, but it's third and nine. Just hand me the ball. I'm going to do a, a sweep around the left end. So they try a hard count. Nothing happens. So they snap the ball, and, 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 and Pastor Hughes takes off to the left, and they pitch it to him. He's got a couple of guys in front of him who trip over each other and fall. And as he comes around the corner, he sees Pastor O'Donnell looking at him with this wild look in his eye. And several other of the O'Donnell family are there. And all of a sudden, he realizes, oh boy. And Pastor Hughes, being the man he is, runs the other way. And he loses one yard, two yards, and he loses seven yards before they catch him and pile on. Now, Pastor O'Donnell's going, it's fourth down, we're going to get the ball. And he hears the referee go, first down. It was third and nine. He lost seven. What do you mean first down? And the referee calls Pastor O'Donnell off to the side and goes, I just feel so bad. You ever play Monopoly? I hate board games. Uh, I just hate to lose. That's the trouble. I, I hate to lose. And, uh, you know, my wife and I were playing backgammon one time. And it always didn't end well. Matter of fact, I threw, the, I threw it out in the yard one time. It didn't end so well. 
And then I see the manual. It's about this thick. And it said, backgammon, the world's cruelest game. What am I thinking? <laughs> but you're playing Monopoly and you got your hotels and somebody lands on your hotels and you go, give me, give me. And they go, no, I don't think I'm going to give it to you this time. I'm going to change that rule. And they go find the rule book and they mark that one out. You can't change the rules in the middle of a game. It destabilizes everything. Because rules matter. I'll give you a third one. Third chapter. This time, with all these new facilities here, money's kind of tight. Pastor O'Donnell needs a little extra cash. Uh, (laughs) So... So what he does, he sees this advertisement for workers out on I-76. Y'all seen those guys? They don't do anything anyway, but stand there. One guy's in a hole and 13 guys are watching him. I don't know how they get paid. Well, I do know how they get paid. Well, they tell Pastor O'Donnell to show up tomorrow, wear your steel-toed boots, and we'll give you a lime green vest. And would have put a sign in your hand on one side that says stop. On the other side it says slow. And you can stand there by the beginning and you just keep pointing people to this side. Because on this side we're tearing up the road, putting new rebar, pouring new concrete. Nobody can go this way. So the next day, about three hours late, Pastor O'Donnell shows up. And he's not wearing a shirt. He's got flip-flops. He's got a cooler with a bunch of Subway sandwiches in it and a big two-liter and the rest of his Dairy Queen. (laughs) And things are going all right. So he's holding that sign and he's telling people, flip-flop, scratching himself. But the cars start backing up. Now it's getting hot with all these cars, and people are getting kind of yelling at him. So he thought, you know, that type A personality, i got to do something here. i got to figure this thing out. So he says, I know what I'll do. He starts moving the cones. He says, I'm going to send them the other side. This, there's nobody over here. So this car comes up about 35, 40 miles an hour, and he sees this cars are stopped over. He just waves them on this side. And he hears this awful clatter as the road turns into gravel, turns into rebar, and he ends up buried in brand new concrete. And about four other cars follow him. Bam, bam, bam. For sake of time. Rules matter. When you don't follow the rules, it can be very destructive. Let me give you one more. <laughs> Pastor McDonald's upset because he got fired. <laughs> He's really upset because somebody knocked over his cooler. <laughs> and he sees Pastor Hughes and he says, Pastor Hughes says, what is the matter with you? And he tells him what happened and Brother Hughes starts laughing. Being the kind, compassionate person Brother O'Donnell is, he picks up a new book or whacks him in the head. <laughs> when Brother Hughes wakes up, he's in the ER. <laughs> he's got a big knot on his head about this eye. 
and he's in a lot of pain. And the doctor says, look, you just take this pill and it'll take your pain down. It'll make your, the bump go down. And so after about three days, he's, he's cranky and fussy. And now Pastor O'Donnell feels a lot better. And so he goes to visit him. And they're talking. And, and Pastor Youth has this great idea. He said, you know, if this medicine's working, and it, but it's coming so slow, I'm going to quadruple the medicine to make it come down four times as fast. Sounds reasonable. <laughs> Next thing you know, he's back in the hospital. And his doctor's looking over him like... And it, rules matter. Ignoring them can be deadly. Look at the person next to you. i got to put my glasses on because I want to see you do this. Look at the person next to you with a little bit of attitude. With a little bit of attitude. <laughs> Say to the person sitting next to you. Who do you think you are? Go ahead. See, some of you really like that. You haven't got to say that in a long time. But all these stories that are all made up, wonderful pastors, great men of God, and uh, just totally fictional. And all these stories, someone took it upon themselves, listen to me now, to ignore, to change, or to modify the rules. And in doing so, it created a dangerous, destabilizing, destructive, and a deadly situation. Because rules matter. God's Word is our rule book for life and for eternity. We can't change His Word. We must allow it to change us. Never compromise on the Bible. Never compromise on the King James Version of the Bible. Everything they've been telling you for two days is right. In the English language, the last translation, if you want to call the King James a translation, was never copyrighted. It's the last one in the English language that was translated from the correct manuscript family. Every single English version since then, every single one has been translated from a corrupt manuscript. Even the guy, his name, his last name is Youngblood, sat on the translation of the NIV committee. He's the guy that was chairman of the New King James Committee. So all the things they've been saying to you are right. We need to understand what we hold in our hand is the very Word of God. It is His rule book. Who do we think we are? In the two texts that I gave you tonight, they're important because in the Ark 1.0, 
We see people that were trying to serve God. These weren't crazy, rebellious, weird people. These people who were trying to serve God, man, they were excited about it. They were having a big day. They didn't throw that ark on the back of an old cart from a barn somewhere. They went out and got a brand new one. They went out and got the big deal. If it was today, man, it had chrome wheels tricked out, several coats of paint. It'd have been a big... They got a brand new one. They were having a parade, music and singers, and they were just, it was, woo, they were excited, having a big day. Problem is, when the oxen shook the cart and us to reach back and touch it, God said, you done gone too far. Who do you, I could just, you could almost hear God say, who do you think you are? They were trying to do good, they were trying to do right. Second passage in Ark 2.0. If you're still there, I just want to draw your attention to a couple of things that are different in this text. Chapter 15, verse 2, David said, None ought to carry the ark of God but the Levites. For them hath the Lord chosen to carry the ark of God and to minister unto him forever. You know what he's paying attention to there? God's rule book. He didn't throw it on a new cart or an old cart or any cart. He said, go find the ones who are supposed to carry the ark. Like God said. Look at verse 12. He said unto them, Ye are the chief of the fathers of the Levites. Sanctify yourselves, both ye and your brethren, that ye may bring up the Lord God of Israel into the place that I have prepared for. For because ye did it not at the first, the Lord our God made a breach upon us, for that we saw him not after the due order. We were doing it, but it wasn't right. We didn't do it the way, order it the way God said to order it. In the order God said to do it. And then it, verse 15. And the children of the Levites bear the ark of God upon their shoulders with the staves thereon, and as Moses commandment, commanded according to the word of the Lord. That's big. That's huge. Please take to heart what you've been given the last two days during this meeting. Never compromise on the Bible. You take your King James Version and you defend it, you read it, you study it, you protect it, you, you live it. You be bold about it. Don't be ugly, don't be stupid, don't be weird. We have enough weird. <laughs> we really do. But be right. Amen. Be right. God's word is our rule book for life and eternity. You know, the world says you can find fulfillment in yourself. The Bible says you find fulfillment through Christ. The world says you decide what's right and wrong. There are no absolutes. The Bible says it's not in man direct his steps. The world says you get happiness, you have a certain level of income. The Bible says that, you know, it's not in the, what you possess. You know, the world says hell is a mental state. God says it's a physical place. The world says that, that church is for the weak. The Bible says it's for the strong. The world says homosexuality is fine. God says it's a sin. The world says man evolved from a lower life form. The Bible says you're created by God. Amen. The world says spanking is abusive. The Bible says not spanking is abusive. 
The world says live for yourself. The Bible says live for Christ. The world says sex outside of marriage is okay. The Bible calls it sin. The world says Jesus is dead. The Bible says he's alive. The world says Jesus was just a man. The Bible says he was Savior, God, King of Kings. The world says children don't need to obey what you say. The Bible says not only do they need to obey, but they need to honor their mother and father, father and mother. The world thinks they can educate your children better than you. The Bible says it's a parent's responsibility. The world says you deserve more. The Bible says you deserve hell. The world says killing babies is fine. The Bible says it's murder. The world says divorce is great. The Bible says God hates divorce. The world says keep your faith to yourself. The Bible says tell others about your faith. The world says it's your money. God says one-tenth of that belongs to me. The world says alcohol is fun and harmless. The Bible says you're not supposed to even drink alcohol. The world says do what you want to make yourself happy. The Bible says do what you should to make yourself holy. The Bible says show off. I mean, the world says show off your body to anybody you can and want to. The Bible says cover it and keep it modest. The world says lying is okay. The Bible says lie not. The world says this Bible is just a book. But we know it is the very word of God. Don't change it. Don't ignore it. Don't modify it. Who do we think we are? It should judge us. But we're going to sit in some academic setting and, and judge it? Who do we think we are? It is our rule book for life and eternity to ignore, to change, or to modify His Word. It's dangerous. It's destabilizing. It's destructive. It's deadly on so many levels. I'd like to make you laugh more. I think I will be asleep. But let me close the message this way, if I can. Our two original texts the Ark 1.0 and the Ark 2.0. 2 Samuel 6, 1 Chronicles 15. As I close, I, I draw your attention back to those texts and I want you to think about how you handle the Word of God. How faithful are you in reading the Word of God? How faithful are you in getting your pencil out and a pad of paper and studying the Word of God? How faithful are you in taking your notes and going and checking and see if your preacher really knows what he's talking about? How faithful are you in reading a text and getting on your face and saying, God, teach me, show me. Study to show thyself approved. How faithful are you in the way you handle the Word of God? How quickly do you say, Nah, I just can't be kind of busy. I think I'm just going to sit home and watch Andy Griffith tonight. Nothing wrong with Andy Griffith. I like Barney. Makes me look good. <laughs> Sometimes. Sometimes. But how do you, as you think about your own life, how do you handle the Word of God? How do you relate to it? How does it change you? I end this way. If God were to take you in your name and put it in the text that we read tonight, would he put you in the first text? Or would he put you in the second text? Because in both texts, the people wanted to serve God. 
in both texts, they, they, were, they were excited about doing something for God. But in one text, they were ignoring, changing, and modifying for their own benefit. Tonight, if I could encourage you at all, I would encourage you to come and commit to God that you're going to spend some time every day reading this book. And when you find something that you don't understand, you're going to commit some time to figuring it out, to praying about it, and go talk to your pastor about it. Say, explain this to me. And when God shows you something that ought to be stopped, you're willing to do it. God shows you something that you're supposed to be doing, you're willing to do it. Because as God said to Joshua, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. Well then, you know, it, I won't, I'll mess it up and then you'll be thinking about that rather than what I'm saying. If we observe to do according to all that's written therein, then we're going to make our way prosperous. Then we're going to have good success. Never find yourself in a position where God could say to you, Hey, who do you think you are? In regards to his word. Rules matter. These are his. Let's bow for a word of prayer.